0: This episode is recorded in Phoenix, Arizona, at the great Laurie Handler's house. Laurie, I met her in Bali serendipitously, and she's a Tantra teacher. She's one of my Tantra teachers. And I even told her I, I kind of feel like she's like my Tantra fairy godmother because, like, I've been learning so much from her, and like, she's this mentor, but she's also a friend. It's, it's awesome. Anyway, I've been staying at her place with some other awesome teachers. If you caught the last episode, you caught me speaking with Kasembe Abena, aka Lord Vesper. He's also staying here at the house and been having awesome, fun dinners and stuff. So, anyway, Laurie and I. Speak speak about a bunch of fun things. Tantra obviously had a lot of questions about her very interesting life. We even go into like a little bit of cult stuff, speaking about Werner Earhart, who is the founder of S, which became Landmark. And I mentioned Vic Barranco. These are names, if you, follow American cults. You've heard these names. And if you don't, you can Wikipedia it. So I'm not going to explain it to you right now. So anyway, we can check out her work at lauriehandlers.com. I actually helped her build that site. And you can get a free copy of her book if you pay for shipping and handling at lauriehandlers.com. And I mentioned this in the last episode too, but the Rwando podcast is now on the Gotham Podcast Studio Network. So if you haven't subscribed on iTunes, iTunes itunes.ruando.com, please do. It means a lot to me and maybe someone else, but at least to me. Okay, right now you're listening to episode 046, Lori Handlers, and we'll call this episode Sex and Happiness. All right, goodbye. Enjoy, I mean. You're listening to the Rwando Podcast, perpetual orgasm, infinite play. Please subscribe on iTunes and enjoy the show. So we're here in Phoenix, Arizona at... The great Lori Handler's Home Office. I've actually, this is my first time actually sitting here for a while, and I'm noticing, I guess that's you in a button.
1: Yes, I, w- I used to be a city uh, commissioner in Washington, D.C., I right. was in politics. So that's my, oh no, that button is my high school reunion. But I have another button that says vote for Lori Handler. Cool.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I, I mean, so, you know, I've been in your workshops. We just did ISTA two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, I've heard a little bit. I've heard many anecdotes from you about your life. I'd love to get like a timeline. I don't know if this might take a while to go through everything. I'll but try to. Yeah. I, can,
1: I can do it. Like I, um, you know, I was born in Brooklyn, New York.
0: Cool. What neighborhood?
1: Flatbush.
0: Oh, cool. I went to high school in Flatbush. You did?
1: Yeah. I, w- I was supposed to go to Erasmus. But- oh, I went to Midwood. My mother went to that. My mother was afraid if I went to Erasmus that my big mouth and my telling the truth to people would get my head handed to me. So she decided it was safer to move to Long Island.
0: Possibility. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we moved to Long Island when I was like six or something. Okay. And uh, I, so I grew up in Oceanside, New York, and um, and on Fire Island. When mm-hmm. I was 15 or so, I discovered Fire Island. And so I started to go there whenever someone could drive.
0: Mm-hmm. Was that before it was like a big gay scene? Or no, it, was, well, was it always...
1: A, it's always a big gay yeah. scene, but it, that's only a couple of parts. That's the oh, Pines okay. and Cherry Grove.
0: I've only been to that part. Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, no, okay. we, we I used to go to Ocean Beach. Okay. And so that was a real hotbed for talent in New York. Tony Roberts, uh, Martha Ray, uh, Patty Duke, all these actors and actresses mm-hmm. And then Anne Klein and uh, fashion designers and the cartoonist from Playboy, the most famous one, mm-hmm. I don't know his name, but all those people had houses on Fire Island and the parts that I went to. Mm-hmm. And we used to just rub shoulders with them all the time. And my friends and I would go, if someone was old enough to drive, if we had a friend who was like 18 and had a car, we would make them drive us to the ferry, and then we would get on the ferry and we would sleep on the beach.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we'd have to be there. It was like hip in, you know, and wonderful back then now it's all financial analysts and lawyers (laughs) but it's not really as artsy a scene as it was before Mm -hmm. um anyway so that's where i grew up i always wanted to uh travel the world and i'm doing that now i go everywhere you met me in bali right (laughs) so you know that i travel the world yeah I I don't know. I, I guess I had a typical middle class upbringing, girl upbringing. However, I wasn't typical.
2: Uh-huh.
1: I was always like ahead of the curve. I was always pushing the envelope. I was like driving my parents crazy. Mm-hmm. My grandmother told my mother when I was in seventh grade, she's going to be trouble when she's a teenager. You better keep a tight control on her. And because my grandmother could tell that i would be sexually active Mm -hmm. and my mother couldn't possibly control me i mean no one could so i just had to find things out so i'm the girl in high school who used to ask the boy the boys used to stand by the cafeteria and they would just be all the docs and they would be just standing there and i would go up to them and i would say what's a blow job (laughs) how old are you I was in high school. I was like oh, okay. 14, 15. So you knew
0: what a blowjob was,
1: right? No. I. Um, th- whenever I heard a new term, okay. I would go to the boys and ask them what it was. And then I would go <laughs> to the girls' locker room and I would tell them what I just learned. So everyone would know. <laughs> so you were the scout. I was uh, the scout. And I was like the Tantra teacher ahead of time, you know, before my time. And um, I was a school leader. I was the vice president of my school.
0: Did I, you know what you wanted to be when you grew up? I know you've had many careers, but did you have an idea then
1: no I know I knew I wanted to travel and I guess I've always been a teacher mm. the character of Lucy of the Charlie Brown characters where she hangs out a shingle and she yeah. gives like advice for five cents
0: yeah
1: I feel like that's always been me okay did you uh, harass a Charlie Brown type too probably I harassed a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went to college I went to George Washington University undergraduate mm. and graduate school And interestingly enough, that was during the 60s, and uh, Kennedy was assassinated on the week of my Sweet 16. Hmm. So Johnson was president then, and we were at war with Vietnam. And it was student riot time, and demonstration time, and Black Panther time, and SDS, Students for Democratic Society time, all that stuff. And I so I was in college and I didn't mostly I didn't go to class, mostly I went to demonstrations. Mm-hmm. Every day was a choice between do you go to class or do you go to demonstrations? So
0: did you like go into the city every day?
1: no in George oh George right, yeah okay, George okay, Washington so, okay. University is one block from the all White right, House. Right, so you don't have okay. to go anywhere. okay, just get out of bed and there's a demonstration. Mm-hmm. Hey, there's a demonstration. there are pigs coming, you know so <laughs> <we was> like, <laughs> so I was involved in all of that um. And I, and also when I got to college, I was involved in sex,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, I, I just said, okay, I'm doing this. Um, and I took an elective in my senior year. I took one credit of education. hmm and I met the woman to, who would become my mentor. Hmm. I met a woman named Gloria Horworth, who loved me how, just how I am. She wasn't my mother, so she wasn't mm-hmm. threatened by my craziness and my power and my outspokenness. She thought I was like, it. She said, you would make the best teacher
2: hmm.
1: in the world. She said, you're so fun, you're so kooky, you're so honest, you're so, kids will love you, you should be a teacher. So I said to her, so what are you saying here? And she said, you should be in my master's program. I said, you're offering me a master's degree? She said, yeah, what else are you going to do, burn down buildings?
0: (laughs) So you you got a master's in education? Yeah. To be like a school teacher?
1: Uh Uh-huh. Wow. And I taught fifth and sixth grade in the District of Columbia. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that was my story. i mean i've I always worked. My father wanted uh-huh. me to get the idea of making my own money from the time I was like ten. Mm-hmm. So I always had little jobs. And then I worked for him. I was his dental assistant, and I like I was a camp you know counselor, and I was different things. But um when I met Gloria Holworth, she said, "You know, you will make a great teacher." And I applied to her program, and uh-huh. I got in, and I became a teacher. And, um, it was really interesting. It was interesting to be a teacher in Washington, D.C., in a, in a predominantly black neighborhood of people. Most white people didn't feel safe going mm-hmm. to this part of town. and I was like loved and cherished and adored.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: could go into this part of town or almost any part of town anytime. And there were always people watching for me. Mm-hmm. And taking care of me and whatever, and the kids. I got a phone call not terribly long ago from someone who had been in my classroom. Wow! It's telling me that she got a master's degree in law. That she worked for the. She now works for the Department of Justice. That five kids in my class went to college because of me. Wow! How you many know, years did you teach? Not too many, kids. Okay. You know why? <laughs> because I realized very early on that schools were not a place that were children friendly yeah schools were not a place to develop creativity and cause people to be wonderful powerful anything like that they were just there to manage people kids for x amount of hours a day Hmm. they didn't really learn kids in my classroom learned stuff but a lot of people a lot of teachers were just getting through the day yeah, and that's what they did you know so i couldn't do that it was it was against my principles to keep doing that hmm. but i found my way to teach yeah you know i found yeah. my way to teaching later on when i wrote my book sex and happiness i gave one of the first copies to gloria hmm. and she said to me who would have thought that you would teach about <laughs> sex and happiness i said look you taught me well how to teach now it's just that i'm teaching about a subject that's more fun in <laughs> <Yeah>. sixth grade.
0: <laughs> so uh, was she upset that you left teaching after? No,
1: she totally understood. Mm-hmm. She totally understood. I mean, she taught in university anyway. Mm-hmm. So she taught people like me. I, so there was a handful of students of hers that were like extraordinary people. And she those people always kept in touch with her. Mm. She was a reading expert. And she, her thing was set people free by teaching them to read. Mm you know, anyway, I, you know, I honored her. She really, she was, she was a mentor to me and made a bigger difference to me in some ways than my parents. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So she was kind of, you know, Campbell's, uh, Joseph Campbell's secondary father idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, she was like a secondary parent. She was. Yeah.
1: And she was, she was great. Because I never really had much supervision. Mm-hmm. I never had anybody like telling me anything. Mostly, adults were afraid of me. Huh. So, <laughs> so she was not, and her husband was not at the time. Uh, he was her husband at the time. They they didn't stay together, but um, they they just they took me in, they cool. scooped me up, and they made sure that I finished the program and that I was launched.
0: So what would you do after, or how was that transition out of teaching? Because for most people, they do it, and that's their life for yeah, the next four years. Yeah,
1: It wasn't mine. <laughs> well, it was mine, but not that. Um, oh, I started working in bars. Okay. You know, like I, was, I, did, I waited on tables. I was a bartender. You know, Cheers, the program, yeah. Cheers. So the original prototype of that was a place called Ken's Pub in Boston, uh-huh. and I was the Carla character. Huh. You know, the one <laughs> yeah, that yeah. like gave everybody a lot of shit. That was that was me. Um, I worked there for a really long time. Uh, there were no jobs in Boston when I went to Boston, so I did. That was the jobs. You went thing. to Boston right after after graduate school. Okay. So you taught. You taught I taught for DC. a year, and then yeah. I moved to Boston. Gotcha. Okay. And um, I only moved to Boston because I heard it was a good party town. <laughs> <laughs> Was and it? it was
2: okay yeah cool
1: it was um, but there were no jobs mm-hmm. I applied for straight jobs teaching jobs every kind of job there was nothing so I just went well I'm not going to starve I'm gonna go to work in a restaurant
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I had a blast um so I uh, yeah so I've waited on tables and then uh, I moved back to DC later on let's see I was, then, that, was
0: that when you mil- what uh, Wilt Chamberlain
1: yeah, I met okay. Will Chamberlain at Ken's Pub. Okay. I cool. did. Yeah. <laughs> My Will Chamberlain story. He gives uh-huh. me the He gives me the his room number and he's ready to give me the key and I'm just like, "Are you kidding me?" I'm looking up at this giant. You no. Know, I couldn't what well, I could only jump rope with your <laughs> – <laughs> with your member I could never do anything with it it must be huge
0: that's great and he, he I mean according to legend he slept with like 20,000 women or something yeah,
1: yeah. I, I wanted to call Oprah Winfrey and say get me on your show I'm the only woman who said no to Wilt Chamberlain
0: <laughs> but I there's probably a few others
1: <laughs> so yeah then I I um, I started consulting when I still lived in Boston I started a women's business I used to run women's groups and then men came to me and they wanted they didn't have any men leaders so they wanted me to lead men's groups so I did that. I taught assertive communication in Boston at the at the adult education centers which are very big there. Adul- Cambridge Center for Adult Education in mm-hmm. Boston Center. And
0: did you just chose to do this one day or did you Yeah, okay. I just
1: I read the assertiveness training manual.
0: Oh, they I, had one already.
1: Yeah, there okay. was a book written and I went this is my life. I could do this. <laughs> so I just Applied to teach assertiveness at these two centers, and they took me. Uh-huh. And I did it for years. Huh. And out of that came corporate consulting. At the Digital Equipment Corporation, called me and said, "We're sending all of our staff to you at the at the Boston Center for Adult Education. Could you come in house and teach here?" I said, "Yeah." What do you want? So they told me the names of some courses that they wanted, and I made them up. <laughs> And they used to pick me up in a helicopter. Wow. (laughs) And then bring me to, like, Maine and to to places in New Hampshire. And I started running women's um, retreats then. And then I moved again. Then I moved. I fell in love with someone in L.A. So I moved to L.A. and I got a corporate gig. I started working in corporate America as a trainer. Mm
0: -hmm. Was that when you almost worked for... Motown? Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah, that too. Well, my okay. good friend was Skip Miller and he was president of Motown. Uh-huh. So he wanted me to work for him, but I was scared that I would lose my mind in sex, drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. So I didn't go to work for Motown, but I worked in corporate America. I learned a lot. Um, I did all kinds of training, um, management training and I made up all kinds of programs and I had a wonderful, uh, manager who's still my friend, a friend of mine, Sue Gould, who lives in, uh, Sedona. And we, we just traveled around the United States having a blast and going to all the divisions of the software company that we worked for. And then I opened a, I got, I didn't like LA. And I broke up that relationship. Mm-hmm. So I came back to the East Coast and I opened a tennis training facility with some tennis pros. That was crazy. I didn't even <laughs> want to go into that. <laughs> I didn't like that job. I loved going to tennis matches, but I didn't mm-hmm. like that job. And then I started writing grants in Washington, D.C. I helped nonprofits get funding for anti-drug programs. That's when I became a commissioner in D.C. and I st- I started working to save kids' lives. Um. I used to do youth summits all over D.C. with two guys, and we um, we would get awards from the mayors. And then um, I say the mayors because there was Marion Barry, who was notorious. He was a notorious mayor for smoking crack cocaine and getting arrested. And then there was uh, Sharon Pratt-Kelly, and she used to give us awards and send us to all these things. So I was very uh, active in the, in saving children's lives from drugs in D- in D.C. Then I went to work for Landmark Education, mm-hmm. and then I started. T- after that, my body was broken down. I started taking tantra classes and. I changed my life into sex and happiness.
0: Yeah. So uh, I I love if you like flush that part out, like you recognize your body was broke. You're doing all this personal development, but your body was neglected.
1: Well, at Landmark, they care more about your, that your mind, Mm -hmm. mental distinctions, and also how much I was the top enrollment manager in the world. So how much, how many more enrollments could I do that week? Mm -hmm. And I was kick ass at enrollment. I still am, but it's like when you have a hit record and then you try to have another hit record and you try to have another hit record, like breaking my record every week caused a lot in my gut. Uh Like it caused disturbance in my lower GI tract. Hmm. And, um, so my body was literally breaking down from the stress, self-imposed stress. Hmm. I did it, you know, like I, you know, I yeah. was, I, I'm was very competitive, so I competed with myself. Yeah. And the, and that cost.
0: It's interesting Landmark didn't have, like, embodiment stuff. I'm not sure if this is true, but I heard that Werner Earhart and Vic Barranco were, like, best buddies. They might have been. in the day. And they, they, tra- they traded been. a lot of secrets. And I guess, you know, so a lot of the communication stuff at Morehouse is pretty Landmark. On Landmark. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, Werner Earhart is one of the most brilliant people I've ever had the privilege of meeting. Hmm. And, um, and, um, yeah, a brilliant guy. And, and, um, you know, I have no lack of love for him, nor do I have any lack of love for Landmark. However, it really doesn't focus on your health and your body and your wellness. Even mm-hmm. though there are programs there that they say they do, I didn't see, I couldn't, I couldn't find And it might be different if you're a, Well, it's very different if you're a participant or if you're on staff. Mm -hmm. If you're on staff, you're just a workhorse. Yeah. You work and work and work and work and work and work and work. And maybe it was just my manager. I don't really know.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like, I mean, what I know of the family tree of different self-help. Yeah.
1: Well, he knew, look, he knew um, L. Ron Hubbard. They Mm -hmm. knew each other. He knew uh, Buckminster Fuller. Mm Mm-hmm. He knew he, Maharishi Mahesh. I mean, w- Werner Erhard brought all of these. He brought the not the Dalai Lama, but the um, his royal Karma. The sixteenth Karmapa. He brought the Karmapa to the United States so people could get a transmission from the second in command mm-hmm. of of Tibetan Buddhism. Werner was really well connected, and he he. He tried to get people to see and experience all these things. He's brilliant man, and he's still alive. he's just uh and he's probably working again oh, yeah, I didn't know he
0: was alive yeah he he spent a while in jail, right no, he oh, didn't okay
1: they tried
0: okay.
1: he okay. left the country oh, okay they call yeah. it the crucifixion or the annihilation. There's a book called the Annihilation of werner Erhard. it's it was like a strategic plot of people to his daughters were on 60 minutes and they said things about him and later they retracted the statements but
0: like incriminating things yeah so you don't think i mean we don't don't know if you have to go on this tangent i don't know
1: (laughs) do you know i don't know okay here's what i do know Mm -hmm. love the guy Mm -hmm. that's what i know changed my life learned so much I say the same thing about Osho.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You could have seen that thing on TV. That yeah,
0: Wild Wild Country. Wild
1: Wild Country. That was only about them getting to Oregon. It wasn't anything about why they did it. Mm-hmm. Why would people act like that to protect this leader if he didn't have something? Like he had, they didn't go into anything that they got from Osho. They just showed the craziness of of Sheila. And how Yeah,
0: yeah my non-tantra friends don't get it. I tell them like, Osho, the guy is still... One of the t- most respected people in like the Tantra in the literature world. world, we still use his you know exercises all the time. But like once people get one view of him, they can't. They
1: yeah, can't they can yeah, yeah, they can't get
0: it. Yeah.
1: Osho was brilliant. All those that whole row, the whole top, and next to the top row of books, there some are aren't even opened. Those are all books of Osho. Huh? That I oh. had shipped back from his ashram.
0: Oh. that those books were actually on.
1: Those were on the bookshelves of the store in Pune, India, at the Osho. Wow. Ashram, yeah. Cool. So oftentimes leaders are misunderstood, Mm -hmm. and then what people make of them is wrong. Mm -hmm. We can just talk about religion. (laughs) But I don't want it to really talk (laughs) about that. (laughs)
0: Uh, Yeah, well, I mean, I think people want the leader to be perfect. I mean, he wasn't perfect, obviously, neither is any guru leader we're, Miranda, humans. we're all yeah. humans
1: i consider myself a leader some people really don't like me
0: yeah
1: some people think i'm their guru i don't you know i don't strive for that i don't care i feel like i'm who i am take it or leave it and if you don't like it go away go run away fast don't yeah. try to destruct me don't try to like take the air out of my tires when i'm sleeping like if you don't like me go away
0: yeah, I think it's because people don't want to take responsibility for their own lives, so they seek a deity or a guru or religion to defer everything to, and that thing has to be perfect for them. Yeah. It's like this incomplete childhood thing. Where right. You want your mommy to be the most perfect powerful mommy, woman. Yeah. Right.
1: Anyway. They suck. All of them. And I do too. So uh, yeah, so that's you know, so landmark was a real pivotal point for me. I learned a lot there and I got a lot there. And then ultimately, I I stayed too long or I couldn't. I didn't have boundaries. Hmm. So I didn't have a boundary about saying no. Hmm. I need to go to sleep now. Don't call me when I'm on the massage table to find out how all my introduction to the forum leaders did tonight. (laughs) You know, you can find out in the morning. I didn't know how to say no then. And then I learned. Hmm. My body made me learn. So as soon as I left Landmark, 1996... I found tantra, and when I found tantra, I did a one eighty.
0: Hmm. Who was that? Who were the first teachers?
1: My first teacher was Bodhi Avinasha. She okay. wrote Jewel in the Lotus. Um, I had I left her after a couple of years. Um, she's brilliant, again in the mind, but I don't think she was really practicing it, mm-hmm. and I was serious about it. Mm-hmm. Like I don't t- if I'm into something, I'm all the way in. So I left her, and my next teachers were um, two people named Deva and Lakshmi. They gave themselves those names. Uh-huh. And they taught me how to access information without going to a to a teacher, uh-huh. how to access all the information I needed just by focusing on it and going into a deep meditative state. They called it incubation. Uh-huh. And so I went into incubation states, and I came up with my own stuff. I started writing a book, I you know, da da da, and and I just did it. Oh, I forgot to say that at the time, though, right after I left Landmark, I was doing consulting to the government. Okay. I was doing welfare to work consulting, and when Clinton went out of office and George W. Bush got elected, he took all the contracts that I had oh, competed yeah. for, you and, that before, yeah. and he gave them to the churches. Huh. And I, I'm not even into religion, yeah. so I, I, what was I? What was I going to do? Open a church? Yeah, you could have. <laughs> I, and then they wanted to open the Church of Tantra. And like, I didn't want to make a religion out of Wait, it. Who
0: wanted to do that?
1: Some of my friends. Okay. And I was like, I'm not doing that.
0: Yeah, I heard, I mean, this is this is way before that. But like, uh, I heard from other people, like in the 70s, everyone was just starting their own church, like in New York City, like there's an LSD church and this church and that church. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess L. Ron Hover really took it.
1: Yeah, Max. he did. He did Scientology. <laughs> yeah. So I, so I didn't want to start a church. And so I said, well, I'm studying Tantra. So I'm going to take my hobby and I'm going to make it into my vocation because mm-hmm. sex always sells. Mm-hmm. No one's going to tell me once again that I can't work.
0: Yeah. But you could go to Facebook jail periodically. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, there was no Facebook then. Yeah. There was no internet then. Huh. So how my business started was all the people from Landmark who knew me really well saw changes. And so they all wanted what I was having.
2: Hmm.
1: So for about 10 years, my whole company, Butterfly Workshops, was fueled by enrollment from people who came from Landmark. Oh,
0: yeah. Because you had this huge network. You already bought from you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Huge network. They were already... they. Plus, I did the wisdom course. So I did the wisdom course in five different cities. Mm-hmm. So all those people from those cities saw me too. And they were like whatever you're doing i want it (laughs) however you look i want that people were just like they thought it was my perfume they didn't i mean they didn't really know what what happened and also i was calming down because i had a sufficient amount of anger but with the emotional release practices that i learned in tantra i started doing them and i calmed down and so my friends thought i was on prozac
2: Hmm.
1: like they didn't really know what changed her and i said i'm doing tantra
2: Hmm. wow
1: and then they wanted that. everyone wanted that they, they saw something for themselves, like I was getting more attractive, sexier. I was owning my sexuality at landmark. My sexuality was in my desk drawer, <laughs> like I was accused of getting enrollment by being sexy, hmm. and I was like, "No, I'm not. But now, if I were to own it, I would say it was, but I, I wasn't <laughs> but I wasn't in touch with it. yeah, yet. yeah, you know, I couldn't own something that I didn't fully embody,
0: yeah. Was that, cause actually one thing I appreciate about the way you teach Tantra, I don't know if this is landmark or just your personality, is that you can talk about mystical stuff. I guess like a New Yorker, like it's not, there's no, like I thought, I didn't think I was ever going to take an ISTA class because when I saw the website, it was like, oh, Temple Arts and going to be all these airy fairy people, like talking about these things. I, I appreciate how you say things very straight. And I, I, I assume it's probably Landmark related. It's it's probably probably Landmark,
1: New York. I'm very skeptical about, um, woo woo stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, but I consider myself a shaman. Mm -hmm. Like I consider myself, um, Gabrielle Roth, who started the five rhythms, Mm -hmm. she used to call herself an urban shaman. Mm -hmm. When I heard that term, I said, that's me. I'm an urban shaman. And. So I have some supernatural powers like when I put when people are on the floor doing emotional release if I put my hands on them I could tell for no reason that I know I can tell what they didn't say hmm. when somebody was perpetrating them early in their life like if they needed to say stop or get off me or don't ever do that to me again or what I can hear the words when I put my hands on someone
2: hmm.
1: so I started to say I can't doubt all psychic readers Mm -hmm. or people who are mediums or empathic because i have a fair amount of empathy i can't see it you know an aura around you but if i touch you i kind of can tell what you held back or didn't have the skill to say because you were an infant
0: yeah yeah i I appreciate i mean i wish there was a way to separate what seems supernatural but like what you're talking about like high level empathy probably everyone can develop that if they actually trained for it um, but then there's other stuff like that that's never true but they're all lumped into one category of woo-woo like yeah. what you're saying shouldn't be called supernatural it should just be like highly skilled
1: right I don't Hi- know, highly skilled
0: tri- empathy skills
1: or, yeah. or powers yeah. yeah so i yeah i'm glad that you said that i there are some more woo um ista facilitators than me Mm -hmm. and uh, some of them are my best friends and i we just don't agree about the woo.
0: yeah yeah well i'm I'm into ista now (laughs) now that i've
1: done it (laughs) (laughs) i mean
0: i I had to do my first one with you otherwise i would have been too yeah yeah anyway
1: i get that Um, i get that but there are some people who are very in touch with the shamanic realms mm -hmm. and um other things like astrology and whatever and things that i don't give that much weight to but um I respect them for their knowledge and what mm-hmm. they know, and then there's some things that I'm not budging on. Mm-hmm. Like one time, I think in my f- in my level two Ista, the first time I was do- participating as a participant in Ista, mm-hmm. one of the teachers was talking about reincarnation, and I raised my hand and I said, "Do you really believe this?" He said, "No, not really." I said, "Good, then don't teach it to me." <laughs> I said.
0: What well, was he using as a metaphor or he I
1: don't remember. All okay. I know is I said I didn't come here to talk about this or learn about this. Mm. I came here to learn what this is. And yeah. I came here to meet myself and I don't want to be taught some ideology and some religiosity of another culture that's not even yours and it isn't even mine. Like I don't want that.
0: Were you already an immortalist at this point? At that point? Yeah, I okay. was Okay. Okay. I was. Yeah.
1: But I was never I never quite even when I used to talk about reincarnation, I never quite believed it. It was mm-hmm. just like, it was the current in thing.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, it's, uh, yeah, it's just another thing. You can't prove it. It's not nice to think about, but right. whatever. It's a metaphor. I, even like with past life regression, which I've had done and I've yeah. seen, it's like whatever you're pulling up, it's not that you actually were burned at the stake last lifetime. It's like maybe some repressed memory in this lifetime is showing up as that image. Or at least that's one.
1: Well, when yeah. I did Charles Muir's. Mm-hmm tanto class i had my the homework is you go home and right in sacred, sacred spot. spot
2: yeah
1: yeah. well i i was burned at the stake came up during my sacred spot huh. experience i was burned at the stake i was smothered i was all these things i was screaming and um i had two partners and my partners were f- like they didn't quite know what to do with all the energy, uh, you know, so, but I don't really think I was burned at the stage. I
0: mean, you might've been.
1: Yeah, yeah. I also think yeah. I'm Cleopatra. Everybody thinks yeah. that's somebody famous, yeah. you know, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cleopatra. So, uh,
0: what were we saying? Just, uh...
1: <laughs> so, so I went from, yeah, so I went from landmark into consulting for a while mm-hmm. for a short period, maybe two years. And then I went into teaching Tantra. And I have, I've never looked back. I'm happy. I'm, it's like, I, for me, I found the secret to my life. It just, I get to be a woman. I get to be in the feminine. I get Mm -hmm. to hold the masculine when I'm teaching, but I get to, um, I get to be a woman. I get to be a goddess. Mm -hmm. I get to be a queen. Mm-hmm. And I really get to be empowered by the feminine, which I never had a sense of before.
2: Hmm.
1: Tantra gave me that. It was like I remembered who I was as a female. On the first day of my first tantra class, hmm. it's like, I, like really, I had put it away at Landmark. Hmm. And I, f- I just said, wow, I could be a goddess. I came home, I went to an advanced course in Mexico, and when I came home, from that was where I had my first puja, where I had a life-altering experience. Like I, I had to go around the room, and the men had all built temples to the goddess, and then each man kissed my feet hmm. and kissed my belly, and I cried. I didn't feel worthy of that. I didn't wow. feel worthy of being honored like that. I hmm. where where's that coming from? And when it, I like I got halfway around the circle of men. And one, I came to one that I knew from Washington and I said to him, this is like a dream. Like I've never imagined this happening to me in my life that people would be kissing me this way Hmm. and they don't want anything. They're just kissing my feet and my belly. Like they're honoring me in a way that I've never been honored. This is a dream. And he said to me, no, out there is the bad dream. This is the good dream. And your whole life can be this. Hmm. And my eyes lit up and I went, this is going to be my dream. <laughs> and I went home from there. I put a hibiscus on my over my ear, even though it crumpled down when I was on the airplane and stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't care. I left that there. I probably still have it in a book to remind me that I was going to change my life. And I went home. I created a temple space in my living room. I just got rid of all my furniture. I changed the way I dress. Like I bought dresses. And my body became a little rounder. My hair now it's very short, but I let it like all grow out and I I just said, I'm gonna live as a woman. I'm going to live in the feminine. I'm going this is who I am. And everything in my life changed. Everything. Um and it's still like that.
0: Wow. Yeah, you're the only person who, only woman, or not the only person I've heard own the crone archetype, for instance. I think, like, the goddess and the princess, those are easy things, but, like, you're really owning the whole everything.
1: I'm the crone. I'm the queen. I'm the princess. I'm the goddess. I'm mm-hmm. all of it. And, um, you know, yeah, being a crone is like, you know, I earned it. Mm -hmm. Like I earned being smart and wise and I earned being tough and say anything (laughs) (laughs) to anybody. And I, and people take it now. And before, like when I was younger, I'm not any different Uh than I was, you know, when I was in my twenties or thirties, it's just that I I don't get in trouble now for saying my truth. (laughs) (laughs) I got in trouble then. Um, and I, um, yeah, so I've earned it, I feel, and I own it. I own it all. It's like I can be I, the thing. Well, here's what I got from Insta. I mm-hmm. mean, I know I'm jumping around a bit yeah, here, no, but. Strong. And I said it in this past to that you were in because Xavier was there. When I met him as another facilitator, he wasn't a facilitator yet, but he was on his way. There was something about him, he's so masculine. So there was something about his masculinity. And it didn't feel predatorial to me. It it didn't feel like he was trying to make out with me. It didn't feel like he was trying to get anything from me. Mm -hmm. He was just this handsome man who, like, when I stood next to him, I felt safe. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so I told him that. And um, something in me that I didn't ever experience until I met him was a little girl inside me who had been hiding could come out and giggle. Mm -hmm and play and feel really safe and so every time i've ever seen xavier and every time i've ever been with him we have these great conversations one-on-one and i'm kind of like (laughs) (laughs) you know i'm just like this little girl who wears pink dresses roughly pink dresses Uh comes out and i get to be her in the time that i'm with him i get to feel really safe like nothing's gonna hurt her Hmm. and i think you know she went away a long time ago Hmm. She didn't feel safe like at about three and a half. Yeah. The real her, the real little girl me, didn't feel safe at about three and a half.
2: Huh.
1: There was an incident. Hmm. My father threw orange juice over my head when my mother had just come home from the hospital with my baby sister, and he said he wasn't going to feed me because I was impossible. Huh. Because I didn't like orange juice with pulp. <laughs> <laughs> So I used to use that at Landmark as my incident when I used to te- when I used to lead introductions to the forum, and um, my father once heard me give that uh-huh. story, and he raised his hand and he said, "That's not how I recommend- remember it." And <laughs> you know, I said, "Sit down, you know, like, <laughs> huh. yeah. But is to the is men. taught me, I don't even think that's the right word, facilitated me being truly safe in the world. I don't think, I have never been around men who honored me that much. Frank being one of them. Uh, Dez, Bruce, Xavier. I Two years ago, we went to Brazil and we did ayahuasca. And that was my first ayahuasca journey. And, every, and I danced for eight hours. Like I never sat down. We were in this like hut thing with a fire in the middle and there was 40 of us. Mm -hmm. Every time I looked around all the men that are important to me in that group, one eye of theirs was always on me Mm -hmm. making sure I was okay. I don't, where else would I have that experience?
0: Yeah. I think it's important to note because like as far as like personal development, some of our archetypes need another person. Like a little girl can't just be a little girl by herself. No. Because she would, your your, your, self, your psyche wouldn't let that come out. It's going right. to be safe. But in the presence of someone else, the complimentary, I don't know if he was being a father in that moment or something like that.
1: No, I think he was being like, uh, um, like Lancelot, you know, mm. like a warrior mm. of the heart.
2: Mm. That's
1: who I see Xavier as anyway. Mm. And so... Um, because of him a a group of them showed up in my life Hmm. like i must have caused that because she needed to come out yeah but uh you know if i take full responsibility for my life i caused it
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and i caused his his lancelot or his warrior to come out Mm -hmm. because not all most women look at him and they want him yeah you know they like go oh this guy's so handsome like how can i like how can i go to bed with him yeah and like He, you heard him say, I'm not doing that. I'm going to be your friend first (laughs) for life. Mm -hmm. And so I must've picked up on that or whatever. I saw him as a safe, gorgeous man. And I said, and as we hung out, like more and more of my bubbles came out, you know, and, uh, yeah. So a whole part of me that I never experienced and I can own that part now too. Yeah. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I try to get this. Uh, I have some clients right now with difficult relationships. I'm trying to get that idea across. Like they can almost activate more beautiful archetypes in their partner if they let their complementary one come out. But if you're waiting for the other person to be like, he's going to be the warrior, so that I can be whatever. It's not going to happen. No. Yeah.
1: Well, I do. I do hold that I. I've heard it said, but I've always, but I've felt this too. It's like if I'm in my queen. I'm going to cause my man to be a king.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I'm just going to pull that out of him. Yeah, he don't, He might not know that he's a king until he does, and when he does, well, the man I'm with now does. Yeah. Um. I don't make him wrong. I don't bully him. I don't try to change him. I don't try to correct him. Okay, mm. correct him from saying. <laughs> I corrected him from saying pictures to pictures. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's so minor. I don't look at a man as my project. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of women who meet a man, mm-hmm. and then I feel go,
0: so settled just like hearing a woman say that. Yeah,
1: a man is not my project because mm-hmm. he's not mine to change. I'm not his mother, and I'm not his teacher. I actually don't want to be his teacher. I want to be his equal. And if I treat myself like a queen, he's going to be treated like a king, and he's going to come to know himself as that. Mm-hmm. and I think a lot of men around me feel like kings. Mm-hmm. I know that you met one of my the men around me, and he said to you, it's always lucky when you meet Laurie. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I feel great. I was actually I was telling my friend Candice, who's done this to also, that like uh, I feel like you're like my Tantra godmother or something. <laughs> yeah. like, I just feel really good being in your house and Thank stuff. You. I feel very – actually, I didn't tell you this. I keep forgetting. the bo- The two times I've stayed in your house, I've randomly made a bunch of money like from a way that I didn't expect. Where's that
1: bell? I have to (laughs) ding my bell. Hold on.
0: Yay. (laughs) And the bell says ring for (laughs) blowjob.
1: Yeah, and that one says ring for sex. Okay. People give me these crazy bells. Um, Yeah, I I exalt men. Hmm. I exalt women too. But I know in this day and age when men are being so chastised, emasculated, finger-pointed at, harassed by women who are so angry and so afraid. Um, I gotta say, I never had that experience. Mm -hmm. I never, men have never done that, those things to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had some who didn't respect me. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, I've known some who probably fucked some who didn't respect me, Mm -hmm. but I did. I did it on my own volition, but I've never not felt respected. I've never. mm, Yeah. Yeah. Except my father. I mean, my father was challenging, Mm -hmm. but I'm smart because of that. You know, like he he caused me to be like I am in a certain way. And then I just I I sometimes forget the story. But when I was 22, I had a violent relationship with someone Mm -hmm. who used to like hit me. I don't know how I attracted him. Like he seemed like the sweetest, nicest man when I met him. And a few months into our relating, like behind closed doors, he would just he'd get so jealous if I talked to one of his friends or if we were out and I stopped to talk to somebody or whatever, we would get home and he would like just smack me. I right. mean and i like had bruises on my face and I lived in fear with him for a year, like not knowing how to get out of it. I Mm. got into it, but I didn't know how to get out of it without like losing my life. Mm. And one day I, he was away. It was a Christmas and I dropped acid (laughs) and I looked in the mirror the whole trip. The whole trip was me in the mirror going, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Like tell the truth, like you're on a substance Mm. now. You have to tell the truth. Would you rather be in jail or be in this relationship? And I took jail. And so then I looked in the mirror and I said to myself, well, if you would choose jail, wouldn't you choose death? And like the minute I said that to myself, like the heavens opened up and I went, wow, I would choose death as freedom over this. Hmm. If I would choose death over freedom, I can't be afraid to die. So why should I be afraid of him? <laughs> so he came home a couple of days later. Yeah. And you know, on the East Coast, how, how doors have chains. Yeah apartment doors. Do they not have
0: that outside of the East Coast?
1: I I haven't ever seen chains anywhere else. I never saw a chain in California or here. So I opened the door with the chain. He he was standing there and I went, listen to me. I'm going to let you in this door in a minute, but first I have to tell you something. I am not afraid to die. As a matter of fact, I choose death over one more minute with you. So I'm going to let you in here and you can do anything you want to me because I don't care. You have no power over me. Nothing has any power over me if I choose death. And that guy got on his hands and knees. He apologized profusely. He said, would you please let me in? I said, I'm letting you in for one reason and one reason only. You are going to pack up all your stuff and get out of here. So he packed Every He came in. He packed everything. He was ready to go. And he looked at me and he said, I really am sorry. Could I take you to dinner? And I said, yeah, you can buy me dinner. And then you're going. (laughs) So we went to dinner, we had a lovely time, and then he he went. Wow. And um, I ran into him a few times in the course of my living in Boston, and uh, I wasn't nice to him. And now, if I were to see him today, if he were still alive, I don't know if he still is, but if he were, and I knew how to get in touch with him, I would thank him. Because the badass that you know, Mm -hmm. that's me, got born on that day. Wow like afraid of nothing
2: Hmm.
1: that happened then he gave me the biggest gift and that's the thing people don't understand like somewhere inside the hurt somewhere inside the trauma somewhere inside like you're saying you need other people to bring things out of Mm -hmm. you sometimes it's not a great lesson Mm -hmm. you think sometimes it's so traumatic and you were so violated and it was so horrible which this was by the way But inside of it could be the biggest gift. Hmm. That man gave me a gift, and I didn't know it then. Wow. And I never doubted that he loved me. He loved me more than probably anyone ever loved me in a certain crazy way.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. But his jealousy and anger were out of control.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I know you've you've, uh, broadcast a lot about me, too. I don't even want to go on that. It's kind of, you know, whatever. It's last year. But with the archetypes thing, so he was maybe a, a sweet guy, but his violence came out. You were kind of in a victim mode. Uh, and then you chose to be in power and he immediately became a puppy dog. Do you think anyone can just do this? And do you think like when there is domestic violence is kind of c- controlled in in that way?
1: Well, I can relate to people with domestic violence because I had it, right. you know, um, I think there's something, there's a hook, Mm-hmm. There are hooks that get played. Like, I, he, I was like this open hippie girl. You know, I used to like talk to winos on the street. Mm-hmm. I used to like, and probably I was flirting. Probably my sexuality was rampant mm-hmm. and I didn't know it. Hmm. I mean, how do you discover this about yourself? Hmm. You know, when the form leader said that to me when I was on stage at Landmark, when I was becoming an introduction to the form leader, and he said, you just seduced all these people by just saying hello and welcome. Hmm. And I was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, yeah, you did. Now, if I were to really look at it now, probably I did. Huh. Sexual energy is so suppressed and the right way to navigate it and how to manage it and boundaries and consent and all the things we know about now. I didn't know that growing up. Mm -hmm. So I probably had this rampant sexual energy that was like flirting all the time and, you know, flitty and, but I, I didn't know it. No one named it. I couldn't name it. So this guy probably saw it. This partner of mine probably saw it, probably was trying anything to get me to have boundaries. Hmm. And I was just, no, I'm going to talk to winos in the street. I'm going to try to help people. I'm going to talk to your friends. I'm going to, you know, and he was like, oh, yeah. Bam. (laughs) (laughs) And I couldn't get it. I couldn't understand it. Some of my lessons have come very hard,
2: Mm.
1: you know, I couldn't get it. And um, so, yeah, I think, I think I was, I don't know why I caused that, but there was some step up that I needed. And I feel I take responsibility for it. And Mm -hmm. I feel like, yeah, there are things that people need to play out. And sometimes, like, the sex was great. We had makeup sex all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, he always felt remorse. Mm -hmm. So he would, like, take my head and hold my head and not understand why he did that. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I could get that. And then he would, like, paint me a masterpiece. Or he would, you know, he was like, you know crazy artist <laughs> he's like Van Gogh. he would paint me a masterpiece or we were doing tie-dye then so he would make me like three items of stunning clothing uh-huh. just for me and i'd be like i like this but i don't like that how do i stop that how do i uh-huh. get him to stop that i don't know i didn't know how
0: hmm. and then acid helped you
1: <laughs> That's to help me clarify. Yeah, it.
0: it's... Um, <laughs> uh, so, all right, we're 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 almost on an hour, but okay. um, let's talk about your book okay. and your upcoming book.
1: Okay. So, so Sex and Happiness mm-hmm. is a book that I wrote in 2000, but I published in 2006, mm-hmm. Tantric Laws of Intimacy. It's a great guide for um, navigating relationships mm-hmm. with self and with another. It's good. It's got boundaries in it. It's got anger in it. It's got, it's got all the topics that have been major influences in my life. It has mm-hmm. emotional release. It talks about, um, oh, I tell women in the book, which is not politically correct. And I say it in the book that you're not going to like this, but please yourself. Don't try and find a man to please you. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to do it. They, it's like pulling a rabbit out of a hat. Like They have no <laughs> idea how to please you unless you know how to please you. So that you can articulate this would please me. He's just guessing.
2: Hmm.
1: He's copying something he saw in a movie. You can't guess what a person wants. Yeah. And if you know me, if you love me, you should know what I want. Fuck that. Hmm. There's no such thing as that. Even in my relationship, you know, we have to constantly tease out some area of, I thought you knew that. I didn't. Give me a signal. (laughs) So, so my book, sex and happiness is about that. Mm -hmm. It's about all the taking all the subtleties out of relating and making some concrete assumptions and following the the laws so that you can actually get to making love in the unknown. That's the goal of the book. Make love in the unknown, make love to life in the unknown. Um, and and
0: it's available. Oh good.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be available. It's available now on my website, but we're launching, you and I yeah. are launching lauriehandlers.com. Yeah,
0: it's all redone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they can get a they can get sex and happiness for free if they just cover shipping. Right. Uh, so actually I haven't read it yet. I, I, I need to Oh, it's to great. Well list. did you see did you see your I saw the testimonial. It was very good. He (laughs) holds up the book. I mean, honestly, that's what sold I was like, oh, I need to read it. Like if this guy loves it so much. He loves it. He says
1: my book is his Bible of relating. And I didn't solicit that from him. Mm -hmm. He actually wrote me that as soon as he started reading the book. He said to me, I'm just I'm mesmerized, I can't put the book down. And also it's written like we're talking. Mm -hmm. So you think you're in the room with me while you're reading my book. (laughs) So that's one. Um, so it's so you can get it by going to lauriehandlers.com on April Fool's Day or thereafter.
0: Yeah, this this podcast will probably come out the week before. Okay, so around That's that. Okay, yeah. so
1: lauriehandlers.com. Now I'm writing another book called The Magic and the Mastery of Sex and Happiness mm. Over 60. So it's from so a lot of people think that when they're 50, they're you know. Nothing's going to be happening in their life anymore. They're going to look old mm-hmm. and decrepit and their sex is going to go away. Or some of them are wishing that their sex mm-hmm. would go away because it's so boring. Um, <laughs> so I wrote this book uh, to tell people that at 60, you're a whole new lo- level of life can begin. Mm-hmm. And so I, the book is about um, all the things that were in, sex and happiness the tantric laws of intimacy multiplied exponentially by my life experience. And uh, all the new things that I did over sixty, all the new adventures that I had, all the new love making skills that I learned, yeah. all the all the crazy, wild experiences that I had that like made me start to feel like going backwards. And at sixty, I also met my immortal group. Hmm. when i was 60 i met um people unlimited and the leaders of people unlimited and i started going backwards Hmm. like i started going like my looks and my stamina and my energy and the way i take care of myself started going much younger Hmm. so um so that's what the new book will be about it's about three quarters done
0: okay so it'll be out maybe later this year or next year
1: yeah well yeah it's my fault because i travel so much i like i write when i'm on the airplane Uh and um my co-writer keeps saying to me you know keeps sending me a million questions and saying could you just answer these could you just answer these and i'm like yeah the next time i get on a plane (laughs) because i'm very distracted when i'm Mm -hmm. home and i'm very distracted when i'm on the road but if i'm on an airplane i'm captive so Mm -hmm. i make the best of it. I write them.
0: Yeah. I like actually that by, by airplanes. Cool. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you. So I I mean, actually I love that. I kind of filled in the gaps because I, we've had dinner a bunch of times. I hear a story here. I was like, Oh, when was that in her life? And now now I got the timeline. Yeah.
1: A couple more things. I just want to say, I want people to check out like on the Laurie handler's website. Uh, lauriehandlers.com. Those of you who have never been able to come to class, one, because financially it wasn't affordable or geographically it was undesirable. Like you could be in another part of the world. And I'm primarily in the States, although I travel to everywhere else now. Um, You can get my programs that are videotaped and you can, and you can expect that I'll be updating some of those and adding new ones. So you can actually participate in my stuff just from that website and also you can check out my radio show sex and happiness
0: yeah i was on a few weeks ago or last month yeah
1: yeah. so there's plenty look there's no reason to like stay in the dark Mm -hmm. there's plenty of reason to play and have fun in your life and and get younger if you want to like you don't have to go down with age or ideas about it like (laughs) Uh, Now that's, now that's the demon that I'm challenging. So, yeah. Cool. So thanks, Ruan. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. thanks so much. Thank you.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to catch the rest of my work, go to Rwando.com, catch me on social media, at Rwando, and please do not forget to subscribe.